Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our podcast review of the 1937, 1954, and 1976 versions of The Star is Born. For you lies the most glamorous city on Earth, Hollywood, California. A city where men and women skyrocket to fame or plunge to oblivion. What happens amid the glamour of such famous gathering places as the Ambassador Pool, the Trocadero on the Gold Coast of the film city, at the Brown Derby where famous stars meet, or in the gay setting of Santa Anita Park? It's all a part of fantastic Hollywood. Hollywood at playtime. Here behind the walls of Selznick International Studio, we see Hollywood at work. A new Janet Gaynor is in the making. A Janet Gaynor never before seen on the screen. Co-starring is Frederick March, more likable, more swashbuckling than ever before. And now we take you behind the scenes. Director William A. Wellman is guiding Janet Gaynor and Frederick March as they will appear in the David O. Selznick Technicolor production, A Star is Born. All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for A Star is Born. And the story for the 1937 version is as follows. When a young actress arrives in Hollywood with hopes of stardom, a chance encounter places her under the wing of an older actor named Norman Maine. Adopting the stage name Vicki Lester, she co-stars with Norman in a major motion picture, but his success is clearly fading even as her career begins. After the couple wed, Vicki's fame continues to grow, but Norman descends into alcoholism, and she must decide between pursuing her dream and caring for him. This film from, like I said, 1937, I got to keep preface by saying that because this is our first ever joint review where we have more than one uh, version of the film being reviewed here on an episode. This version is starring Janet Gaynor and Frederick March. It is directed by William A. Wellman, written by him, Robert Carson, Dorothy Parker, and Alan Campbell. Joining me for this triple review here on the next best picture podcast of all three previous versions of a star is born before some guy named bradley cooper decided to you know drive us all crazy this year i have michael schwartz hello everyone dan bayer the man that got away and also joining us because this is a patreon podcast review we have one of our patreon subscribers with us here today andrew poor how are you today andrew well, so, all right, we're going way back in time here, back to 1937, with the first version ever of A Star is Born, a David O. Selznick production of A Star is Born, might I add. Let's, you know, I mean, at this point, like, we all know the story, right? The story gets repeated over and over in all of these versions. Uh, we're going to do each one at a time, uh, and we'll give our grades. We'll talk about its Oscar success or lack thereof at the end of each review, and we'll move on and on. And if you guys want to listen to our 2018 v- review of A Star is Born, the Bradley Cooper Lady Gaga version, you might have heard of it, like I said before. Um, that is currently up on nextbestpicture.com. So let's move over actually to our guest, Andrew, first. Andrew, yes. what did you ultimately think of the first version of A Star Is Born? Actually, I think it might be my favorite of the of the three that we are reviewing. Wow. 
Yeah, it was just I I kind of like the movie aspect of it because I know as it transitioned it became more musical based. And I really enjoyed seeing someone who really started out with like not really any talent, just a dream. Like well, as you get to the later ones, they already have a semi success in different ways. So it was really interesting seeing that. It was at my first a Star's War that I watched before even the 2018 versions. So it was my first exposure to this this uh, movie series or movie itself. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, this just for the record, too, I mean, I guess we can all say if this is our first time or second time, fifth time, whatever it might be. You know, for me, this was my first time viewing all versions. And I made that decision early on before I saw the Bradley Cooper version, because even though I was familiar with the story, I kind of wanted to view that latest version with new eyes. I didn't want to have the comparisons in my head when I was watching it. And I'm kind of glad that I did because I actually had a greater appreciation for, well, most of these uh, when I went to go uh, visit them for the first time. So let's uh, pass it off to Dan Bayer. Dan, what did you think of the 1937 version of A Star is Born? Um, I liked, I like it a lot. Uh, I think, I mean, well, I'll get into more detail later, I guess. But I think that Jenny Gaynor and Frederick March are really well matched as the leads. And it's also, of these three, it's the shortest by far. Yep. <laughs> um, and I think it turns that into a real asset. It has that old Hollywood studio um, system, you know, get in, get out, done. Um, it, it is so clear that Dorothy Parker had a hand in writing it because the script is tight and it is caustic and it has just some great, great one-liners. Um, you know, it, it, there are parts of it that are so great that they have kept it in every iteration since. Um, and it, it works really, really well, I think. Yeah, no, there's definitely some elements that carry over from film to film for sure. And before I get on to my thoughts, because I am kind of eager at this point now after listening to the two of you, let me uh, pass it over to Michael Schwartz. Michael, what did you think of the 1937 version? So the 1937 version up until this year was the only version of A Star is Born that I hadn't seen. So I watched this back in August, a few months before the new version came out, and I liked it quite a bit. I can't say it's my favorite of the four. But I really thought uh, Frederick March and Janet Gaynor were excellent. And uh, as we were saying before, I like how you saw her back in the Midwest. I think it was North Dakota where she was living. The scenes with the grandmother and that context that sets up the rest of the film. It allows you to see her roots and look at the character in a bit of a different way. So I I really like this one a lot. Yeah, one thing I wasn't expecting with this version, actually, and this just goes to show you how clueless I am. I had no idea that this was going to be in color when I watched it. I actually didn't either. I I thought it was going to be purely black and white because A, the time period, and B, every still photograph I've ever seen of this film has been a black and white photo. It was the first color uh, Best Picture nominee. That's that's fascinating. And I love that how, you know, the Academy Awards at this time had only been, what, 10 years old uh, when this film had come out? Hollywood was still booming, obviously. This was the golden age of Hollywood. And I I find it funny now when we get movies about Hollywood being released today, you know, contemporary things like Birdman, for example. Everyone always likes to go on and on about how, oh, Hollywood loves to pat itself on the back. Hollywood loves Hollywood, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, yo, 
No shit, they were doing this back in 1937. Of course they loved themselves. <laughs> yeah. And why not? They got interesting stories. Well, you know what? And that's and that is um the most fascinating thing about this version is how even though Hollywood was still like in its infancy, you know, you have to think back to the time. 1937, there was no Casablanca. There was no Jaws. There was no Godfather. There wasn't anything that we know. There was Wings and Sunrise. Right, exactly. Yeah. And yet this movie, and, and maybe it's because of the updated versions that have come after it, something about this movie still, still feels incredibly modern to me because, well, <laughs> the story is timeless. It's a it's an incredible propaganda piece for Hollywood itself. Yeah, it is saying, saying don't that, come here. You know, no matter where you come from, you too can travel to Hollywood and become a success. Well, that's interesting. And that's a story. I saw it as the opposite of yeah. that. I saw it as Hollywood saying, "We're full. This place will make a mess out of you. We don't want you. <laughs> Stay home." Because you have to wonder after you know the end of the movie when she says, "Hello, everybody." Visit. Uh, they say, "You know, hello, everybody." This is Mrs. Norman Maine. Mm. One has to ask themselves, what happens to her in the aftermath of her husband and what happens to him? You know what I mean? Like, that's something that no version has ever tackled. And I think that that, that is supposed to be open for the audience to decide for themselves. Or is there going to be a repeated cycle of behavior or not? I definitely never got the impression watching any of these that there was going to be a repeated cycle of behavior because in each version, um, Esther, the Esther character does not show any signs of alcoholism. Of course not. But there, but she's also naive and, you know, new to the industry. I mean, yeah, but I mean, think of how in this one in particular, her grandmother, you know, comes back and tells her, no, you, you wanted this. Don't, don't give up on this. Mm, that's a good point. And, you know, I, I do. And think about it. She comes back at the end and she gives that radio interview. <laughs> that is so hysterical about how she's also coming out to Hollywood and maybe she'll become an actress, too. I mean, it is no doubt about it, a tragic ending. That's because it's a melodrama. And it. But it definitely has that patina of Hollywood. Yes, it's hard work. There's a lot of things that go into, you know, making this dream. But if you go back and read about old Hollywood, like they were pretty open about a lot of this, about how they made stars and how the, you know, they came up with backstories that weren't always real. Right, like Joan Crawford and, and Betty Davis. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah public loved it and ate it up and this is another reason of saying you know like see it could happen to you even if all these terrible things happen you could still become a star and you know what i have to say uh just between the two leads here frederick march and uh janet gaynor i you know mm, i'm going to try avoid making comparisons to the 2018 version but mm. i think i like their chemistry the most of the three versions I would completely agree. It, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, they do have – they have great um, energy together that really matches each other, if, unlike um, most of the other ones where there are different things that keep the performers in sync. I, I think it helps that Frederick March is such a great rake kind of a character. 
Mm. You know, he has like that roguish charm that like, you know, he, you know, he's no good, but he's so charming that you can't help but fall for him. Yeah, no, I, I definitely get that. He's the quintessential kid in like high school that will bring you into his stupid scheme and get you both caught to the principal office, but you thank him for it. Because you had such fun. There is a <laughs> winking-eyed charm to him that yes. you know he's a bad boy, but at the same time, uh, it's part of the reason why she falls for him and continues to stay with him, even going so yep. far as to, uh, you know, when the judge suspends his uh, sentence and puts uh, his custody into Esther's hands, and she becomes essentially responsible for him. That's how. That's the length that she's willing to go for him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are things that we obviously know because we've discussed them in the other versions. But I think it's important to keep within the context of the original here. That's the link that she's willing to go for him. And we hope that that is some, an act of kindness, if you will, of love, devotion that's going to um, change him. And he decides to make a decision that is for her. And that's like his way of showing his love and devotion for her in the third act. And I find... Yeah. Both to be in this version in particular, I actually found it to be very, very fitting and unmelodramatic. I actually thought it made perfect sense for this version. I agree. So speaking of this version, you know, before we go into all these details about the plot, is it okay if I give some uh, backstory about how this film came to be and everything that came before it? Uh, yeah, why not? Sure. Okay. So this film came out in 1937 and... What most people don't know is that while it's the first film titled A Star is Born, it's actually sort of inspired by a film called What Price Hollywood from 1932, directed by George Cukor, and it starred Constance Bennett and Lowell Sherman. It's it basically, basically a remake in all but name. <laughs> right. Same idea, same concept, based on a short story by uh, Adela Rogers St. John's, based on her experience with actress Colleen Moore and her producer husband, John McCormick along with the life and death of director Tom Foreman. So I got to ask this quick question. Do you think George Cougar saw this movie and legitimately thought to himself, I could do it better? Well, funny you should ask that, Matt, because <laughs> David Selznick, the producer, wanted Cougar to direct the 37 A Star is Born. And Cougar said no, because it was too similar to what, to what price Hollywood. <laughs> so after he saw that it was a success yep. and it did well, it was like... <laughs> What a greedy son of a bitch. <laughs> well, well, we'll talk a little bit more about him when we get to 54. But what happened was, like, Euchre said no to Selznick. Mm -hmm. And, in fact, RKO, which distributed What Price Hollywood, considered suing uh, Selznick International Pictures and United Artists on plagiarism charges. Yeah. And that's so funny because the film ended up winning the Oscar <laughs> for Best Writing Original Story. There you go. It's yep. like, we see this that shady Oscar campaigning 80 plus years ago. Original story, <laughs> not screenplay. Story. Because they wouldn't say, like, inspired by What Price Hollywood or a remake of that. It was A Star is Born. Written, by the way, by Dorothy Parker as mm -hmm. one of the four writers. Writers were William Wellman, Robert Carson, Dorothy Parker, and Alan Campbell. Yeah. Although, if I remember correctly, I don't think Dorothy Parker uh, actually got the Oscar. I think it was William Wellman and Robert Carson only. Yeah, because she did the script, it's not crazy the story. that Dorothy Parker is like has such a role in this. She was even in like the credits of the 2018 Star Is Born. You know, in this day and age, they would find a way to get Dorothy Parker that nomination through campaigning somehow. I saw a tweet when the trailer for A Star Is Born dropped in June. Someone said, "Like, finally, the 
project I've been waiting years to happen, a project involving both Bradley Cooper and Dorothy Parker. <laughs> <laughs> so some claim that this wasn't a remake of What Price Hollywood, but rather inspired by Barbara Stanwyck and Frank Fay and their marriage. Others I, say that it was about John Bowers, who man in the entertainment industry who followed a similar uh, downward spiral as a Norman made in this film. I really don't know how you can watch this film and watch What Price Hollywood and not think that this is a remake in all but name. Like whole scenes are just ripped right from the first one to make this. I'm going to also make a, a, a another – I'm going to pile this on a little bit too and uh, throw a more contemporary film out there that you know we don't say is a remake of A Star is Born. But it's one of those things where it is in all but name. The Artist – Sort of. Oh, come on. I mean, it has, yeah, kind of. Well, it doesn't I mean, end the same way. It, it doesn't that, end in tragedy. Takes, that is like formula. inspired by, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely him taking the young starlet under his wing and making her a star. And he does have that like downward spiral, yeah. but it doesn't end on the same track. No, it doesn't. But, you know, yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, they might as well take the Beauty and the Beast line and say, tale as old as time for a star yeah, Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it is one of Hollywood's most durable properties. Now, why do you think that is? I, I think the part of it is that the story is universal. It speaks to everybody. You know, it's sort of an American myth in a lot of ways, the myth of the underdog from the small town moving to the big city and making it big um, that we all know and love here. But also besides that, it's really easy to mold it to whatever time you're telling this story. I mean, think of how, think of how similar, but incredibly different all four versions or five, if you include what price Hollywood are, and they each are perfect reflections of the time and filmmaking conventions that was going on when it was Absolutely. made. Can we talk a little bit about the supporting players in this movie? Cause I feel like it's more than just Gaynor and Mark. Oh yeah, no, it is in all the versions and to some degree or another. Yeah. Why not? Let's talk about Lionel Sanders, Matt Libby. Probably my favorite character from this film. Oh wow! Oh my yeah, God. nice. So much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, just that whole that whole line when he's writing up her little backstory and it's like, "What's your name?" and then she says it, and he's like, just stops dead in his tracks and goes and like, "Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell, Esther Victoria Blodgett?" Yeah, <laughs> so great. So the character of Miss Phillips is played by Peggy Wood who yeah. would later uh, go on to receive an Oscar nomination for playing Mother Abbas in The Sound of Music, who sings Climb Every Mountain. You would know every fact about The Sound of Music, wouldn't you, Michael? Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. So she's great. Mae Robson, we mentioned as a grandmother Letty. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. She's so who great. is basically just in the film in the beginning and the end. But I still think it's weird that she wasn't nominated. Because her moment at the end is, like, really powerful. If that she's had been so today, memorable. Yeah, she would be nominated if it were today. I, I agree with that. It, it's tough to say what was going on at the time as far as, you know, the Oscars were concerned. I know there were books about it and stuff, but it's hard to say like what prevented her from getting in. You know what I mean? It's a lot of studio politics, too. Uh, absolutely. I mean, wasn't this uh, actually made as a vehicle to get David Oselznik, uh an, an Academy Award? Uh, that I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Two years before uh, Gone with the Wind and uh, three years right. before Rebecca. And then Rebecca the year year after. So, yeah. Um, 
one other thing too I also want to uh, bring up is I like that this version and I listen I'm not saying I'm anti-musical <laughs> but I like that this version just doesn't have any of the songs that became uh, such a staple of the other films yeah I mean you're talking to the musical lover here and I'm glad to have just a straight version of the story right yeah well. that's all I'm saying a little variety you know and yeah. I, I appreciated that about this version that it was just more about uh, she her being an actress and you know acting uh, as opposed to, you know, the whole shebang. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I also love that the character is the first ever Oscar winner for Best Actress. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's never any doubt that she doesn't have the talent. And can we talk about the scene when he meets her? Because the impressions she does <laughs> during that scene as she's serving hors d'oeuvres are hysterical. How did she not win for this? I want to know that because this is this is such a showcase for her. Yeah. Which, by the way, maybe that's going to be a reoccurring theme. (laughs) I mean, she had already won at that point. You know, there were ten Oscars. Yeah, yeah, that that is true. She won the first uh, for Best Actress. She won for Seventh Heaven, Street Angel, and Sunrise. So this year, she lost to Louise Rayner for The Good Earth. Louise Rayner died four years ago no i know she already had i know she already had one but like you know it's the early days of hollywood they i don't know maybe they were conscious about oh she already has one back then oh actually louise rayner actually uh won the four as well yeah this is her second so they just really liked her (laughs) and of course uh as we all know frederick march uh, had previously won the Oscar for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And would then go to win again for the best years of our lives. Yeah. But I will say, though, that, you know, this is definitely, obviously, not only one of his most well-known uh, acting performances, but, um, uh, you know, as somebody who's seen the, the best years of our lives, and I'm trying to think what else I've seen him in, because I feel like I have seen him in something else. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. I'm just going through his... He's one of those actors who you see a lot of movies and then sort of forget that he was in... Oh, Death of a Salesman. Yeah. The 1951 Death of a Salesman. I've seen that. And Sidney Lumet's Long Day's Journey into Night. Uh, Have I seen that? I don't think I've seen that. 1956 with Catherine Hepburn? Nope. Don't think I've seen that. Okay. Well, there's one to put on your list. I'm going to have to put it on the list. (laughs) But, you know, I thought he was very, very good here. And, you know, I, I mean, definitely worthy worthy of a win i would say at least uh it wasn't i would say this out of the three versions that we're talking about right now he's my favorite uh norman main oh wow agreed i, I like him quite a bit well. i would put him at number three really no he's my favorite uh, wow spoiler alert my favorite is james mason which we'll talk about a little later but i i put mason and cooper ahead of him but i still oh think I'm, not, I'm not comparing the 2018 version just the oh, three so just the three yeah all right well in that Oscar year, you know, he lost to Spencer Tracy for Captain's Courageous, but he was also up against Paul Muni for The Life of Emile Zola, who's excellent. Mm. You know, that's a terrific movie, The Life of Emile Zola. Uh. So because there's a chance that a lot of ground is going to be covered um, in the other two versions here, um, I want to just ask about any specifics about the 1937 version. Final thoughts, if you were, um, before we give our grade out of 10 for the 1937 version of A Star is Born. I think it does a really good job of setting up this property, even though we saw it before in What Price Hollywood. And I don't think anyone really knew that there would be that there would be all these other remakes to follow. But for what it is, it's a good movie on its own. And it can be watched on Filmstruck until November 29th, yeah, sadly. <laughs> and in some really 
not great quality public domain versions on Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's pass it over to Andrew. Uh, what grade would you give the 1937 version of A Star Is Born out of ten? Uh, I have to give it an eight out of ten. It just, like as you guys said, it just it stands on its own. It doesn't need the foundation that the other, that the 54 and the 76 version had, and it just it works. Like if this is the only version you saw, you'd be totally fine with that. Uh, righty, Dan. Um, yeah, I'd say I my grade out of ten would be like a seven. Um, <laughs> I tempted to say 7.5 but i know you no. hate um so yeah i'd go with a seven um i think that it's one of its biggest assets which is it's um i don't want to say speed but because it doesn't move fast but i guess it's it's got good pacing compared to the others yeah the pacing yeah the good pacing of it, it it's it's also a bit of a liability because we don't get i realize this not until after the movie was over, that we don't even really ever see her act. That's a good point. We don't ever see her as a star rehearsing or anything. And uh, granted, you know, it's Janet Gaynor, so we know she can act. But I, I think a little thing, there are lots of little things like that that I think would have gone a long way to making this like an all-timer of a movie. But as it stands, I think Seven is about where I'm at with it. It's great. It's, um, it's, fun and Janet Gaynor and Frederick March have great chemistry. Um, it's a worthy watch. Okay. Michael. I'm also an eight out of 10. You know, this is a really solid movie and there's not much bad you could say about it. It's just really well done, well acted. And I'm glad I finally caught up with it. Having seen the other versions. Yeah. I'd probably go with a seven out of 10 for me. Um, there, there were a few things and it's just, listen, you know, I'm born, born born in 1990 over here, you know, I'm conditioned to a certain type of movie. And I've seen my fair share of classic cinema. Um, there are some movies from classic cinema that I just sometimes can't engage with as well as I would like to sometimes. Um, and for that, um, I, I, you know, I will say this, the next version that we're going to talk about, I was definitely more engaged with, I would say, than this version was. But I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this a lot. And I don't think it's bad by any means whatsoever. And there are a few things about it that I would actually consider it to be uh, the best of the three. Uh, And this film, uh, you know, as we already discussed a few minutes ago, uh, was uh, nominated for Outstanding Production, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Assistant Director. (laughs) Man, it'd be crazy <laughs> if that award came back anytime soon. Oh, God. Uh, best Writing Screenplay, and it won uh, Best Writing Original Story, and it was also a special award given to uh, Howard uh, Green, who uh, W. Howard Green, sorry, uh, the films for the film's color photography. Uh, as you said, Michael, it was the first colored uh, film to be nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. Okay. Uh, shall we move over to 1954? Please. Okay. Hey, everyone. Sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of the full review of all of the three previous versions of A Star is Born prior to the 2018 version. You have heard the 1937 review, but to hear the 1954 and 1976, you'll have to head on over to our Patreon page for Next Best Picture and subscribe there for $1 minimum a month. You will get this review and other exclusive podcast content. That is mostly voted on by you, the dear listeners of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, also on Acast and on CastBox. 
and newly on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think of the show. And as always, we shall see you all next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.